Thank you, worship team, for being my sermon illustration. That was a first. only took five years. But that, it is impossible to find a version online of people doing those verses. They only do the first three, and they're like, okay, we're good, when really... If they knew anything about the sermon I wanted to preach today, they would have put those, can we put those lyrics up one more time? Just start with, come, desire of nations, come. That this is, in fact, Advent. This is exactly what I'm hoping to get across, not only today, but as we work through the mess and the miracle, our Advent sermon series. Go ahead one more time, or keep going. This is all about a certain uh, place and a certain event that happens. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And good. What event is that song singing about? No. All of those wrong. What is that verse about? The garden, right? That the garden is where we find ourselves this morning. Shepherds, that was an easy guess. It's a Christmas guess. I get it, Nikki. But no, this is about the garden. This is actually where Advent starts. That this beautiful manger scene actually starts in the garden. It actually starts in paradise. It starts with the creation that God had for us in creating the world, all that is in it, and creating you and me in his image. That Advent starts in the garden, and it's really weird to think about because we want to go to the shepherds, we want to go to the manger, we want to go to the angels and King Herod and the wise men and all of these things, and we'll get there, but today it starts in the garden. And my hope this morning is that we're going to engage the garden in a way, and I, again, uh, in the middle of January, will be 17 years in the ministry, I have never, ever seen an aspect of something I've preached on. We did a whole sermon series in Genesis, yet the Holy Spirit brought me to something, and it might just be me. A bunch of you are probably like, oh, I already knew that. But, and that's fine, just act surprised. It was an incredible understanding and the power of Advent found in the book of Genesis. So let's start in Genesis chapter 3. We know, I'm not going to do a lot of the conversation between uh, Eve and the snake and Adam. That's, that, that's for a different sermon, but we all know what happened. I'm going to start in verse 8, okay? So if you pull out your Bibles or look on the screen, Genesis 3, starting with verse 8. Again, we use the English Standard Version here, but use whatever version you want. And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, the Lord God, among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten, have you eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. We've heard this account, you've read it, we've talked about it. This is the beginning of the journey, if you will, right? And we're not even at the part of Christ yet, we'll get there. But 
as we go through the absolute mess that is the Garden of Eden post chapter 3, so it's chapter 3 and beyond, prior to chapter 3, there was no mess. It was perfect. And I want us to just, let's, let's play around with this just a little bit. Prior to chapter 3, now we don't know how many actual days there were as far as Adam and Eve kind of doing their thing and naming the animals and all these kind of things. And it's really weird to think about it because you have these two naked people, right, that are just, they're, they're just living in, a, in the Garden of Eden. And it's beautiful and it's perfect. And we have absolutely no idea how to engage that. I don't spend a lot of time there because I know, like I've said before, chapter 3 is coming like a freight train. Sin's going to enter the world, and, and it's weird. We almost find, we're almost more comfortable engaging after chapter 3 because we're really okay with sin, and we like, well, there's sin, and then there's redemption. What do we think life was like prior to the whole apple-eating business? Go ahead. What do you think life was like? Heaven. Oh, a version of heaven, sure. Peaceful. Interesting. I'm going to challenge you on that. I don't know who it was. I think we know peace because we know pain. I don't know if they, there would have been no need for peace. I know, it's going to get hard. Mental gymnastics are like Olympians right now. I get it. But the things that we draw in life, peace, comfort, happiness, all of those things, we only really know these because of the opposite that happens. And I know, I, I, again, I might be sounding like a crazy person, but it's at least on brand. Understand that you didn't need any of those. There was no pain. There was no discomfort, right? There was no anxiety. There was no, it was, what word can we use? Euphoric, Okay. That's an interesting word, right? Euphoric. Sure. I mean, th- there's, it's really hard because you don't have a contrast. You don't, you don't have the what it could be or what it was. And so understand as we are in the garden, it, to me, it, it just it deepens what sin actually did. And as we journey this Advent season through the mess, we're going to go through different messes that ultimately need to be cleaned up in the miracle that is not only Christ's birth, but the redemption found in Christ alone. We have to understand the mess. And I was in chapter three, and something dawned on me, and it was the Holy Spirit, because I'm not that smart. Adam and Eve did something very damaging when they heard the sound of God, or they, they heard the presence of God And that got me thinking, before I get to the damaging part, that they had relationship with God. They were with God all day. All day, every day, it was just normal. It was just communion with God. It was life in the presence of God in a perfected way that none of us get. We don't get it because we have sin and we don't know what life would be like without it. And even those people that claim that they, they died for a couple minutes, they went to heaven and felt all the things and rode all the rides and all that kind of stuff, and then they wake up and they, I don't think any of that's true, personally. It just is mind-boggling. 
And then Adam and Eve does something that, like I've said, I've preached this text. It's an easy preach, friends. It's not very difficult. But the Holy Spirit opened up something that at the sound, right, the sound of God in the garden. I only liken this to maybe being a little kid. How many people would, the, your mom would say, just wait till your dad gets home. I'm sorry if this brings up, uh, that's really weird that Ryan waved his hand next to his dad. But uh, it's, you know, that there's, that's really one of the only things I could think of. Carrie's only invoked that a couple of times, which is shocking. But she's only invoked that a couple of times. But I remember my mom never really did that because I didn't really have a, a dad in those formative years. Uh, my mom got remarried right before I entered high school. And it, waiting till your dad gets home when you're a junior in high school is very different when you're four. Okay? When you're four, when your mom says that, what happens to you when you're four? For those of you that rose your Curtis, you rose your hand, right? Right? Yeah, okay. We saw you, so don't lie. Um, when mom would say that to you, what, as a four-year-old Curtis, what were you thinking? What? Fear? Say it again. Joel, give him a high five. Fear and hot. That was a great point. The lights just went on, right? Absolutely. You were afraid, so you hid. Now, did you, like, did Dad, like, not be able to find you and you got out of the punishment? No, because you're not that good of a hider. And so understand that fear drove a decision to hide from Dad. It's exactly. I, now, did I tell you to say that? No, that was on your own volition. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. And this is, oh, what is the definition of hell? Go ahead, Thomas. Death and a life without God. I knew that's what you were going to say. Is that not the same thing? They heard the sound of dad in the garden, the creator God, the one they had communion with. They hear that he's there. They get scared and they hide so I'm going to use this as a verb. My wife makes fun of me because I make up words uh, on stage, and you guys just take it, which is nice. Uh, but they held, didn't they? H-E-L-L, apostrophe E-D. I know it's a made-up word, but we got this. They actually created the first version of hell. That they heard the sound of God, they were afraid, and they said, we don't want to be in his presence. I don't know about you, but that, what an absolute mess that is. Life was just breathed into. From dust you, you came to dust you will return. That out of nothing, God creates everything. And they hear, so they hide. And is that not true for us today? Is it not true that there are things in our life that we hide from? And if Christ is in us, then we hell all the time. That we, we think and we try to keep stuff from an all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere God, how much fools are we, but that is a natural reaction in us to the presence of God. That hell, is, that sin is so deeply in our bones, thank you Adam and Eve, that our our, our reaction to God is to hide from him. What an absolute mess. 
was made in the garden. And so that's why the promises had to come. Because what if God would have just left it there? What if God just did one of these and said, at that moment, no, I'm God, I can start over. No. Because what is one aspect about a mature believer, we learned it in Hebrews, and a mature person is an honest person. You can't say, I am a mature individual and lie. It makes, you are, it's, a, it's very hypocritical. Same goes for a believer. That to say, I am a mature believer. I, I've been in the church for years. I've been an elder. I've taught Sunday school. I've done all of these things. But I hide stuff from God. That is not maturity. And the opposite of maturity, I guess, would be immaturity. That's easy. Or foolishness. Or insert whatever word here. But the promise had to come because God is telling each of us, I see you. I know you. I know what you've done. Is that not grace? Right? That God knows what we do and loves us anyway. I, one of the only things I can liken it to, being a parent, because uh, kids are easy sermon illustrations, is you know your kids are going to mess up. You watch them mess up. But none of us go, and you're done. I mean, maybe you say that and you send them to your room, but you don't cut off relationship to them. You don't give them away in that sense. But it's the exact same kind of relationship that not only Adam and Eve had to the creator, their God, the one that they were in communion with, we do it too. And we need that relationship. We need that grace. Because given to ourselves, we will hide all things always. We'll lie. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll bend the truth. White lies, red lies, whatever lies. We'll do all of those things because in us we can't stand and say this is who I am, good, bad, and ugly. Friends, we see what the good, the bad, and the ugly is right in Genesis chapter 3. And it starts with the ugly. It starts with deception. It, 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 uh, it starts with kind of lying, it starts with bitterness, it starts with passing the buck. We see that in the relationship. I'm not going to go down there because that's the easy sermon too. The blaming and the throwing under the bus that happens when, when dad, the creator, is, is asking for an account of the information. Any of you that have kids know what is one of the greatest things your kid can say. They did it. Right? They don't take, I mean, I, I would love a day for, for Joey or Teddy or Jack to come up and say, Dad, I messed up. I did this, and I'm sorry. But we have to learn that. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we almost have to get burned by that first in order to learn it. But that shouldn't be how it is. But that's the mess that we've made ourselves. That's the mess that sin makes. That's why the promise of, of something better is coming. But for now, for this Sunday, we sit in it. We sit in the mess. We sit in not only the promise to come, but we sit 
in the consequence of what we've done. One of the, one of the probably more frustrating conversations that believers can have is, I, I apologize, I said I was sorry. Why do bad things, or why do the consequences have to happen? Because well, you broke a rule. You did something, right? That idea of Christian liberty of, I'm a believer, I can do whatever I want, is not a thing. Is everything permissible? Sure. Is everything beneficial? Not by a long shot. What would it have looked like? This thought's just coming to me now. What would it look like if instead of Adam blaming Eve, Eve bla uh, uh, blaming the snake, what if all three of them would have just turned, bowed, and said, I'm sorry? Ooh, they had the chance. They had the chance, and they blew it. What does Adam do? This woman you gave me, right? So not only does he not take responsibility, he actually is blaming God, right? It's like having the middle kids say, we didn't need a third, right? All of those things. It's understanding that there's, that we, the passing of the buck, the, the, the passivity, the passive aggressiveness, uh, the, the lying, the deceit, the deception, all of that happens right here. And it's in our blood forever, or at least forever on this earth. And then God looks at Eve. What is this you have done? Right? It's, it was the snake. It was the snake's fault. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now what if Jesus would then sit on a rock, explain to them what they've done, and say, all is forgiven? It'd be a very different book. You'd be a very different person. We probably wouldn't need church. But it didn't happen that way. Because there needs to be accountability. There needs to be correction. There needs to be something to learn from. Because as I started, whatever the euphoric, and I like that, Bev, we're gonna use that word, the euphoria that was chapter one and two, now there's a contrast in chapter three and on. That whatever this was is no longer attainable now. It is no longer attainable on earth. It is no longer attainable, buildable, receivable, whateverable by you and me. That something had to be done. And those were the consequences. Starting with, with verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent... Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. The dust, of, the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. It's a bad day. It's another reason why I hate snakes. Me and Indiana Jones right here. That's, that's, that's I mean, if you're the snake, you're like, that's going to be rough. No one wants to eat dust. Now, there have been depictions on what this, this serpent looked like and all of that, that, you know, that, um, on your belly you shall go, it, what actually, what, I don't, it's not Selvitic, don't worry about it. But at the end of the day, here's, here's where the promise comes. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. What is God telling us in this curse to the serpent? It's not going to be mano a mano, right? It's not going to be God v. Satan. Nothing v. God, Right? There's nothing that high that can 
ever be the opposite of God. No, it's going to be sin's offspring. It is going to be the hurt and the pain of generations. That is the curse. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. The key word in there, he. Who? Not Adam. No, Adam made a mess of it. Adam had his shot, and he blew it. The he is the promise. And I love that he is given before because I'm not resonating with the snake. I don't crawl around on my belly. I try not to eat dust. We don't resonate with that. We'll resonate in about 30 seconds. But don't you love it that the promise of Jesus came before the curse to, man, to the man and to the woman, before the curse for you and me? The promise of Jesus was there. Not only was it established, it was now foretelling. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Won't we just love it if we just stop there? And he shall bruise your heel. Amen. We don't need to go on, but we do. To the woman, he said, I shall surely multiply, multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Women in the room, how are you feeling right now? I hate to say it, pregnant women in the room, how are you feeling right now? That wasn't fair. Sorry, Mandy. But understanding, this is where there needs to be consequences. Understand, life was euphoric before this. Generations are going to come. Why? Because the curse said it would. Offspring. It's the first mention of it in the curse to Satan but it's also for our generation as well, the generations to come. And not only is it the, the child-bearing side, which again, as a, as a, as a male pastor, you got to be very careful how you preach this, right? Or you preach it and then take a vacation. Is, you know, understanding that there is not, the pain in the child-bearing, is that part of the curse? Absolutely it is. But it's also the exhaustion. It is also the complications. It's also the infertility. It's also the, the, the stillbirths. It's also all of these things that come along with the greatest aspect of life for a lot of people is the birthing of children. That in that moment, something washes over you that you don't really get any other time. I don't care if you get the greatest gift ever. It's not the same as the day that you have a child born. And I think I'll go to the mat for that. That's not a slap on the wrist. That's not go to your room. This is going to be all-consuming consequence. But a lot of times we just keep it to the childbirth. Now, I don't know if, if before this, because we don't have any record of it, if like the babies just fell out and that was it. I have no idea, and I'm not going to keep going there, because even for that comment, I know I'm going to get emails. Sorry, elders. But understand that I think the curse is hitting, it, where, hitting us what we value most, our children and our spouses. 
That's the curse. That's the all-encompassing curse. And that's the big one. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. What in the world does that mean? Why does that have to be in there? Right? If I'm a female, I'm going to be careful, isn't the first one enough? The first one has a whole bunch of junk in it. Why do I, then the only thing that I would want to cling to, hopefully then, is my husband. When everything in childbearing and childmaking and all of those things is going to be awry and is going to hurt, I at least can find comfort in my husband. Nope. That's going to be tough. You're going to have to work at it. It's one of the reasons why they say marriage takes work. It's not 50-50, it's 100-100. It's choosing every day, if you are married, to turn back to your spouse in the commitment you have made. But even saying that, I know the hurt and the pain in this room. There's pain of adultery. There's pain of a divorce. There is pain of all different kinds. Why does it have to be so painful? Because that's what sin is. Sin is painful. Sin is a life without God, right? We are bent. It's our depravity. It's in our nature. All right. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. There's a lot to unpack there. This isn't, and a lot of people say, well, this is why women should be quiet. No, that's, that's chauvinistic and dumb. This is an understanding of you did not protect your marriage. The person that you coveted to love the most, period, ever, period, you did not secure that. You did not protect that. Because what if, what if Adam would have done his job, right, got in front of her and the snake, it's a talking snake, Adam, what, like, come on, and said no, killed the snake, frolicked away, everything would have been great, but you didn't do your job. And now the temptation every day is that men aren't going to do their jobs this doesn't mean occupation, even though it does, right? That's all built into this, right? Some people will look at this very foolishly and go, well, I'm not a farmer, so it doesn't matter. No, that's not it. Yeah, does Jesse Smedberg uh, probably relate to this a little bit differently than I do? Absolutely he does. For those that don't know, he's a farmer. And understanding that everything you're going to try to do to provide for your family, to provide and do the job that I, that God has willed you to do is going to be hard. Even if you're good at your job, it will be hard. Even if you make a lot of money, it'll never be enough. Even if you're just scraping by, you'll have to continue to do it. Because you didn't do your job, you didn't protect the house, so to speak, this is why you're going to be cursed. This is why sin is going to be ever at your door, which we see a couple chap or a chapter from then with Cain and Abel. Right there's a huge stop sign. Don't do it. Cain, don't murder your brother. Sin is crouching at your door. And he succumbs to it. If this isn't messy, I don't know what is. 
If you're looking at this go, that's not a big deal, then you're a fool. This is massive. Cursed is the ground because of you. Continue. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Clearly we're called to eat, okay, but it's all going to be cursed and might not all taste good. Till you return to the ground, from out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and dust you shall return. Okay, men in the room, how are you feeling? Probably pretty accurate. Probably not a whole lot to say. But here's another aspect that I've never thought about. For the men in the room, you had to hear the curse of your wife. God didn't forgive Eve. He didn't forgive Adam. But they had to be there for each other's curses. That in the good times, in the bad, they had to take it together. That was uncovering that, and praise to the Holy Spirit for doing that, that it was, uh, the only thing I can liken it to, and you can, you can talk to Kara about this, is she made me go skydiving on our honeymoon, and I mean it that way. Um, she had no problem with it. I was scared to death. I asked why is the door open as we took off, and the guy reminded me that's what we're jumping out of. I was like, oh, that's right. She said the scariest moment for her was I, I jumped out first. And in the little, the, the video that we have, you see me jump out. She said, that was the only time I was scared. Now, we jumped at 13,000 feet, and that's when she was scared because it had to do with me. So, I, I, yeah, she loves me. That's excellent, right? It's our honeymoon. We just went through a nice wedding. So uh, we're good. I don't know. Now I say it out loud and go, we were married like three days, and then we jumped out of an airplane. I don't know about that. But... She said that was the scariest point for her, that when something is happening to your spouse, to the people we love in our life, it affects us. Some of you, like me, are the sensey type, right? We're sensies. We're sensitive. We, there's something about justice in us, right? I see it in my middle son, Teddy. When, when Joey or Jack is being reprimanded, uh, are being reprimanded, when they're, when they're in trouble, Teddy feels it. Now, when Teddy's getting in trouble, Joey and Jack laugh. So it's a very different relationship. But Teddy feels it. And you might be like that. That when bad things are happening in the world, it, it drains you. It, you feel it. It's like a weight on you. How do I know we have people in that? Because you took spiritual gifts inventories and we talked about it. That that's part, that's a gift. Some of you are empathetic in amazing ways. Some of you are empathetic in super annoying ways, but that is all the result of sin. If we didn't have sin in the world, we wouldn't have to empathize with anything because it would all be euphoric. Everything will be great. We wouldn't get in arguments. There wouldn't be passive aggressiveness. There wouldn't be pain. <laughs> there wouldn't be death. I think we all can agree it's a giant mess. That there is an understanding here that we, it's an uphill battle. And you're right, it is. But here's the kicker. God doesn't leave us there. But God's going to send someone to help make sense of the mess. 
Does he clean it in a way? Yeah. The, the result of ultimate sin is death. We have new life in Christ. But for the time being, Christ helps us make sense of the mess and hopefully convicts us enough to not continue to make it messier because we're real good at that. We're super good at making a mess worse. We see this going on and instead of, instead of fixing it or stepping in and helping it, we, just, we see this fire and we just throw a can of gas on it because that's our sin nature and it's part of the curse that we're under. It's part of that nature for us to make it worse. But that's why God offers us things like peace and comfort and direction. First Peter, or Second Peter talks about it. First Peter 2 talks about it in this way. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Everything that Adam and Eve and the snake felt, Jesus felt. He went through it. Other world religions, their savior, their whatever, doesn't do that. They're up here and you have to notch your belt or get enough check marks or whatever to reach it. Christ says, no, I'm going to come down and I'm going to show you how to not make it messier. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Shot at Adam and Eve. Thanks, Peter. But it's true. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was being mocked and jeered and spit on and lied about and, and, and beaten, he could have easily just snap of his fingers, sent legions of angels to dominate. But he didn't. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on or in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but now return to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. So if you find yourself in a mess today, and I know that some of you are. If you find yourself in hostility, if you find yourself in non-marital bliss, if you find yourself in a job that you absolutely hate, if you find yourself on a street where your neighbors drive you absolutely crazy, if you're in families where there's hurt and pain and Thanksgiving wasn't fun, it was the opposite, understand that Jesus gets it. And he does it, he could, just all good. But he gives you perspective. It's not by his excellence. It's not by his holiness. It's not by his perfection. It's not by his na 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 I've never sinned. Because that wouldn't be relatable. By his wounds we have been healed. By his wounds we are called back. By his wounds we can say, Come, desires of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now efface. Stamp thy image in its place. Second Adam from above. Reinstate us in thy love. 
Hark the herald, us, angels sing, glory to 